0: Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsadaf.com. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Sada Flody, and this episode is everything you need to know about perseverance and resilience. I have the honor today of welcoming uh, Lisa M. Vogel. She is an amazing woman that is not only a powerhouse and a strong woman, but um, spends her time with, uh, she has her own clothing line, fashion modest fashion line, and she also does advocacy work and humanitarian work. So um, welcome to the podcast, Lisa. I'm so happy to have you on.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So Lisa, I am going to let you introduce yourself to our viewers who are watching and listening. And if you could just give us a little bit of background about yourself.
1: Okay, well, I am a mother of two i'm from east lansing michigan um i am from a christian and catholic family but i am a revert to islam i reverted to islam about 11 years ago um i am a co-founder of a modest fashion brand i'm a humanitarian and activist um and a survivor of domestic violence
0: it's amazing that is um really amazing. And actually, you know, just to give our viewers uh, a little bit of um, background. So I was uh, fortunate enough to meet Lisa last weekend at a retreat that was hosted by Momming While Muslim and Moxie Living. And um, Lisa spoke about her um, journey from where she started um, her own clothing line, but also the the aspect of her life that made her very human, and that was her survivorship of domestic violence. So, um, Lisa, if you could just tell us a little bit about your journey as well, and, um, you know, how you started in fashion, and uh, and about yourself, and about the domestic violence, if you don't mind, if, if you feel okay.
1: Sure. Um, I guess I'll start on to the fashion piece of it. Um, you know, I, I went and got a degree in marketing and I went into the corporate world, um, I um, realized that that wasn't for me and it wasn't fulfilling. I'm somebody that if I don't feel it deeply in my core, um, I don't do it. (laughs) And so I follow my heart in pretty much everything I do. Uh, So I was living in Chicago at the time and I decided to quit everything, move to Florida and go to photography school. Mm. I wanted to pursue... um, uh, political photojournalism. It was something that I actually don't think I really talk about it that much, but uh, God had other plans for me. And I paired up with some of the viewers may know her if they're Muslim and they follow modest fashion, but I paired up with Yaz the Spaz. She's a near and dear friend of mine. She's an OG in the modest fashion world. And we paired up while I was still in photography school, and modest fashion wasn't even a thing in America at the time. Yeah. It really was not popular like it, like it is today. Um, and we were just started to do shoots, and they started to go viral. From there, we became a really great team, um, and we started working with companies and magazines overseas, and we were flown overseas to do work and everything. Um, but there wasn't a huge presence of modest fashion in America. Fast forward, um, I get married, uh, she gets married, and I settle down with my photography career because I now have a child and I can't be traveling like I was. Um especially when I was on baby number two, like it just didn't, it, it was, it was difficult. And so I really wanted to pursue, um, fashion as far as opening up a brand. Um, and while I was married in 2014, um, I launched with a and my co-founder, uh, Verona modest fashion. And so from there, like, it took off and, um, yeah, I've, I've been doing that ever since.
0: It's amazing. So I know that um, you had mentioned before that your clothing line was at Macy's before, mm-hmm. and now you have your online, uh, online business, correct?
1: Yeah. Right now we have not, uh, by choice, we want to just sell directly to our consumers. Uh, we did launch in Macy's in 2000, and I think it's 18. I forget the year now, which is really bad. Um, but it was a huge milestone uh, for myself as well as the um, you know, the community, I believe, because it took Muslim women. And we went on a larger scale for representation. So for me, it was a very proud moment.
0: That's amazing. Um, And so I know that um, you had mentioned a little bit in your in your bio about um, domestic violence. And, you know, being a survivor of that, I don't, you know, I I only want to talk to you as whatever you feel comfortable, you know, talking about. And, um,
1: Yeah, disclaimer, I'm an open book with it. I made a very conscious decision to uh, speak very publicly about it um, for the purpose of hopefully helping other women.
0: That is um, amazing. And I did hear your, um, you know, what you've gone through. And so if you would, you know, be so kind as to just, you know, help somebody that might be listening or watching this um, a little bit about your journey with that and, you know, how you escaped your um, perpetrator and how you went on. And, you know, a a lot of women, and rightly so, you know, would find it very difficult to, um, you know, be able to pick themselves up and then become, you know, a successful, strong woman. So maybe if you could tell me a little bit about your journey and how you were able to
1: do that. So in, in 2013, I met my husband, Um, and we decided to get married. I was looking for, um, all of the qualities that we're taught to look for as Muslim women. Uh, you know, they're on their deen, uh, they provide, they take care of the families. So on surface, uh, he was really everything that I, I, I thought was the, as far as an amazing man. And that's the way he portrayed himself to the public. Behind closed doors was a completely different person, and that's often what happens with abusers: is they're very charming, and um, to everybody else, they're they're this amazing, warm-hearted person. Uh, that's not what I had at home. Um, when we got married, about week one is when I started noticing abusive signs, but at the time I didn't realize it was abuse because it's very disguised um, and it's it's subtle and, and difficult to pinpoint. Um, and so it started off with emotional abuse and, and control and financial abuse. Um, but because it was in such small, you know, small little actions, um, it's something that I wanted to be patient with and we could work on and we could get through this. Um, and, and so it became a, a cycle where I would let things go. And then things just got worse and worse. Um, week one, I went into, I went out for a jog and that's my me time, which we, we spoke about earlier that, you know, my workout time is myself time. And I, so I went for a jog and I came back. And all of my, I had all these Pakistani clothes um, <clears throat> before going to weddings and everything, and he and he gave them all away just within the hour that I went, and I was like, "What happened to all my clothes?" He's like, "I don't want you wearing these," and I was so upset because it was it cost me so much money. I loved yeah. them. This one, sorry, that I was like in love with, like you and you know the, it's just things that you can't necessarily replace. So I was very upset, but I let it go um, because I didn't want to create. I didn't want to create a bigger problem, so I let it go. A uh, few weeks later, uh, the first instance of a uh, th- of a, a very angry episode, um, we were driving up to ICNA in Connecticut, and um, he exploded, and veins popping out of his neck, screaming at the top of his lungs, driving recklessly, and I didn't even know what had happened or what had sparked his anger. Um, by then I was actually already pregnant. I had just found out I was pregnant. Um, so I got pregnant right away in our marriage. And that's the way the marriage continued for about a year. Um, no physical abuse, just extreme verbal and emotional abuse. I was becoming depressed, more and more depressed. Um, but I, I, I did, I, I don't think I was knowledgeable enough to say, yes, I'm in an abusive marriage because again, what happens is, is there's an, an abusive episode there's the remorseful stage, and then there's the honeymoon stage, where they feel sorry, they, they won't do it again, they'll get help, they'll work on themselves, and then they'll do something like sweep you off your feet. And so you decide to forgive, and then each time they do it, you're broken down more and more every time, and you become more and more weak. And that's how people get sucked into the cycle of abuse. Um, I gave birth to, my first, to our first child, his name's Ilyas, and... Um, two months after the birth of him um, was the first time that he hit me and he knocked me to the ground. Um, And that was the start of the physical abuse. And I just remember crying my eyes out and he didn't talk to me for two days and he made it seem as if I did something to him. And so the irony of it is that he would be abusing me, but I'd be running to him. And so that's what they do. They, they, they break you down so much that you think that you need them, even though that they're they're beating you up emotionally and physically. But you feel like you can't live without them.
0: Mm.
1: So the physical abuse, of course, only got worse. Um, I had endured my head being slammed to the wall, knocked to the ground, strangled. Um, I did lose a baby during the during my marriage um, with my third child. I. Um, drove myself to the hospital bleeding. I drove myself, my two children to my sister-in-law who was living around the corner while bleeding, dropped my kids off and drove myself to the hospital. And, um, he came to stop by to see me and then left me in the hospital that night alone. So I just remember that night looking at, at the wall and thinking, how did I get here? Like, it's like you wake up one day and then you don't know how that, like how, how you get there. And, um, I knew I had to leave, but I didn't have the strength then. So um, it wasn't until about a month or two later that I finally had had enough. And um, I waited till he went to work. Um, I called some friends. One friend had already knew knew about the abuse. Um, she was local, and that was my business partner. She and her husband had known about it. Um, and I said, I'm going to leave. It's time to leave. And I, I always say that victims – always remember the first time they were abused and they always remember the last time. And then they said, this is enough. And so I'll never forget that day. And I packed up the car and I drove from Dallas to Orlando, Florida. And, um, I started a new life. Um, I did, uh, he begged me back. Um, but this time I, I decided not to go because I did leave many times like many other victims do. Um, and so I decided. I said, "I'll give you one year. Uh, you can get help, and uh, the kids and I will stay in Florida and be safe. And if you don't change, then I'll divorce you. If you do, then alhamdulillah. we you know. But I'm glad. I'm I'm glad I made that decision because that year um, he he didn't change, um, and he did get he actually he did get help, and um, he did provide for me and the children for that year." Um, but his anger never went away. And so I knew that this was something that he was going to have for the rest of his life, unless he made a conscious decision that he, he knew he needed to change. But, um, I did decide to divorce a year later.
0: It's amazing. Um, thank you so much for sharing that with us. You know, that's, um, uh, it's really difficult and it's very hard to, you know, I can't even imagine what you were going through. It must've been so awful. How did you um, tell your family or tell your community, you know, how did you, what, you know, I'm wondering like, what, what, what was that strength that you found, you know, like, how did you find that strength? to, to finally say enough is enough and decide that you were going to leave, you know, because uh, as you were saying, perpetrators are very manipulative. They're very charming. You know, it's very hard to, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure at some point, the reason why perhaps, you know, and I don't know it's you will obviously you'll let us know, but um, you know, you, you, perhaps you thought that you don't want to break up a family, you know, and things like that. So, so what finally gave you that strength to stand up and say, no, no more.
1: It's it's actually ironic that you said I may not want to have broken up a family because um, the reason why it's ironic you said that is the family, the the brother and sister that uh, took me in, um, he's a dear friend of mine. Um, He was one of the first people I called. Him and his wife took me in. And the next morning, um, because obviously I I had to stay with somebody. So the next morning when I woke up at their house – I was sitting at the breakfast table and I said, I broke up a family. You know, that guilt was on me. Like, could I have been patient while he changed? Could I have done something different? And he said to me that I'll never forget. He said, you didn't break up a family. His fist broke up a family. And that suddenly was, I think, the start of my brain being rewired because we are completely brainwashed by abusers to think that it's our fault and everything. We we asked for the abuse. If we would have done something differently, he wouldn't have gotten so angry. And so that was the, the start of me thinking differently. As far as my family, I kept it from them even six months after I had left. I was so afraid of creating a stereotype that brown men or muslim men beat their wives because it's so sad the stereotype that goes around when in fact statistically one in three women in america and they're definitely not all muslim because one percent of that's one muslim um one in three women in america are victims of abuse so i didn't want to take a stereotype and make it worse and and my family be like see this this is what happens so i was afraid of that thankfully they, they were they were very supportive of me, and that's not what they told me to my face. Yeah. So, but that that's what helped me. That's what held me back from speaking out to my own family. As far as the community, it wasn't until years later um, when Verona had gone, you know, uh, so much press and we're in every news outlet and the spotlights on me, and I I decided to take that. Um, opportunity and felt that it was a responsibility to speak out against domestic violence because I knew that other women were going through it, but I was not prepared for how many women are. And um, to this day, I get messages now weekly, probably about other women needing help and needing assistance and where can they go to, um, what resources are there? Um, I still get plenty of messages, but at that time, I, I think I got a thousand messages from women going through abusive marriages or had left and shared, shared their story with me.
0: Wow. That is very, you know, it's, it's tragic, but it's also empowering that you were able to take that situation that, um, that pivotal moment in your life and then change the narrative and make it such that, you know, it, it helps other women. It gives them hope. It allows them to see that there are other possibilities that they can change. That you know they can change their situation, and even though it's very difficult, and they may may not have the support, right? But that they're able to do it, and that's that's what I find amazing uh, about you. And I think that is just so awe inspiring uh, for me is to see a woman like you, you know, stand up to your abuser, your perpetrator, and then just change that for yourself so that it empowers other women, right? Because you could have, had you decided to keep it in the shadows, right? You could have, but instead you changed that whole story and made it such that women, you know, could find another way, another avenue and know that they can, they could also survive. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you for sharing that information. Um, You know, I'd love to hear about the advocacy work that you're doing right now with this as it goes as it uh, applies to domestic
1: violence um, well i'm working on a massive project at the moment um, and but which i'm hoping to go public with in about 6 months um, so i'm i'm really um, hopeful that inshallah will help a lot of women um, but what i have done is i i do speak out as much as possible. That's first and foremost is I believe education and creating a conversation is the first step with making change at all. Because if we're not willing to speak about it, we definitely will not be able to make change. Um, And that's something within our community that there's still this sense of shame that uh, this is something that you sweep under the rug. I think we're getting better at it. Um, and I think more organizations are stepping forward, more members of the community are stepping forward and saying, Hey, we need to not be silent about this issue anymore. This right. happens to our community just like it does everybody else. Let's stop pretending it doesn't. So, um, speaking out is, is one way that I hope to create change. Um, another way that, um, I, other way with my advocacy is uh, with ICNA Relief, I helped to open up a uh, women's shelter. Uh, we raised money and it houses around um, six women and that's in Orlando. That opened up about two years ago. Um, and I'm going to be meeting with um, with them shortly on how we can expand and uh, serve more women in that community. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have worked with Texas Women's foundation and help fund them to get transitional homes. Transitional homes is different than shelters. Mm -hmm. Um, because often shelters, not ikna relief because they uh, they do serve Muslim women and they do keep them there for six months to a year, but often shelters will give women three months and then they have to find their own place. And no one can rebuild their, their lives in three months, especially when there's children. So transitional homes is very important because it gives a woman a long-term home where they have time to get on their own two feet financially, get a new job, maybe further their education. Um, I'm also on the advisory board for Ikram Foundation that serves divorced and widowed women in our community, many of them being domestic violence survivors. And um, they give loans and scholarships uh, to divorced and widowed women um, to get back on their own two feet to further their education. So that is... um, that's another organization that I work with. Um, and then I, I often just help any other organization that helps me or that asks me to assist them and, and I jump in and help whenever I can. It's amazing.
0: Um, and I know that you had also mentioned some humanitarian work
1: that you do as well. So is that separate from the advocacy or is that? (laughs) I do a lot of humanitarian work. It's very important to me. Um, most important thing for me in this world is that I don't want to leave this world unless I've made as big of an impact as possible. Um, so I'm doing some work in Uganda at the moment. Um, I met with the prime minister while I was there a couple months ago and wow. I'm working with a local official and uh, one project that we're just finishing up on is um, getting a school back in, uh, back open. Um, they had The government had shut it down due to their water facility and we funded it to... Um, uh, to renovate their toilets and and water well, and just those two things will get 1,000 kids back to school, and 17 teachers back to work. So that's one project that I'm finishing up on, and then we're looking at a phase two, um, <clears throat> to build a community center, um, and school, and a, and a massive water project. So um, I'm working on various humanitarian projects at the moment, and that's really I think my other passion outside of DV, and then. Fashion is kind of my creative outlet, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you are amazing. I just, I'm like tired just listening to the amount of work that you do. That is, mashallah, you know, may Allah continue to give you strength to do all of this work. It's just so amazing. And I'm just like totally fangirling over you. Uh, <laughs> that <laughs>
1: You're is, doctor, mashallah, profe- and <laughs> successful.
0: Uh, should be the other way around. <laughs> no, no, it's just, uh so amazing that's just really impactful everything that you're doing you know alhamdulillah so tell me uh you know we know a little bit about the the advocacy and the humanitarian work that you're doing but tell me a little bit more about your fashions and um you know where do you get your I don't know, like your creativity from to make those and, you know, what I know you mentioned a little bit before when I spoke to you one-on-one about materials and where you source them from. And if you could tell me a little bit about that.
1: Well, um, at that night we opened up Verona um, initially to give Muslim women the pride, the strength and, and pride to be, you know, to not back down and, You know, hold your head up high if you choose to wear the hijab, because obviously there's so much Islamophobia and there's so much information about the hijab and Muslim women, and that we're forced to wear it or it's an oppressive garment. And I think I'm like the perfect example, as no one's forcing me to wear this. (laughs) I chose to put it on. Um, I'm not married and I'm keeping this on. It's my Muslim identity. I wear it with. Pride. So when people see me, they know I'm a Muslim woman. So this is something that I wear, um, you know, very pridefully. And um, so we wanted to give Muslim women who chose to wear the hijab that confidence to be who they are, not back down. That was their, our, our biggest mission. Um, and then secondly, it, it's also, we wanted it to make it more convenient for women that wanted to dress more modestly. Um, and it may not necessarily even be a Muslim woman or maybe a Muslim woman that doesn't wear the hijab, but likes to dress more modestly. And they couldn't find these options of, um, as you know, there's requirements with hijab where it has to go to the, down to the wrist and down to the ankle. And then you start, if you look elsewhere, you have to pair all these pieces and it's difficult and it doesn't that's, look good once you pair it all together. And then smart. it doesn't. Um, so we wanted to, you know, fulfill that need for our sisters. Uh, so that, that's really our social mission. Um, and as far as inspiration and designs, um, it, I can't really tell you exactly where it comes from because I just have a creative idea, and we start and we put our line together. Um, so, like for instance, we're about to we're about to release our basic line and it's like basic pieces um, with like basic dresses, kind of everyday wear. Um, and after that, we'll be launching, you know, our spring line, you know, coming up in you know February. So
0: February March. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Do you have like a um, say, like a a work line or like, you know, the business casual line? Do you have that as well?
1: Yeah, we have a lot of suits and two pieces that are you can dress up or down. You can wear to the office or a nice night out. So business Mm -hmm. casual, we have a lot of those pieces right now. We're building our line back up because COVID really hurt us. Um, Factories were like shutting down left and right. and Then they'd open up and then three weeks later they shut down. So it was so hard to pump out productions, but we're slowly building our line back up. And so if you were to go to our site, it looks like we have just a small line, but slowly but surely it will get back to where we were.
0: Awesome. So tell me if, uh, say, if somebody, you know, who's listening or um, watching, if they wanted to, say, be a part of your uh, advocacy or your humanitarian work that you're doing, if they wanted to donate, you know, where could they go to do that?
1: They could donate at Muslim Aid USA um, or if it's organizations that I work with for domestic violence, uh, Texas Muslim Women's Foundation is a great organization. Um, I'm, I'm speaking at Noor Family Services in Atlanta um, this week, next weekend, excuse me. Uh, they're a great organization as well. Um, I also work with Iqna Relief um, and the Ikram Foundation here in D.C. So uh, those are all really great organizations to support.
0: I think it's so just, I know I keep using the word amazing, but I just think that's what you are. You know, you donate your time, you give so freely and, you know, you I'm sure are not free. Like, you know, I'm, I know your calendar is, is booked and you are super busy and especially with two little kids. Right. So how old are your children?
1: Seven and eight. They're two very active boys. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, they, they, they're the full-time job for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, yes so i know being a mom of three that it's it's a lot of work so you know you may you make it look easy but it's not
1: <laughs> i do my best like i'm not gonna act like i'm a perfect mom or perfect <laughs> like i have i you know i make mistakes just like everybody else motherhood is not easy there's no handbook to it yeah no. um and i try to be very open about that that i'm like look i i have flaws i i i don't i really am anti-making Social media, as if I'm this perfect person. Like we all like to have this perfect image out there of ourselves. And I really try to not be that person online. I really do try to be the same person online as I am at home. And so I show my mistakes. I show how crazy my kids are. And like, I think I sent my kid to school with like a shirt on backwards. (laughs) (laughs) So like, I yes, I I do a lot, but sometimes I'm all over the place. So I do my best.
0: Yeah, that's great. So. Lisa, you know, I know that you and I were talking about, you know, what happened and what finally pushed you to make that decision. You know, I know you said you were in the hospital, you were staring and you had been abused so badly that you were thinking to yourself, you know, what, how did I get here and how did this happen? I'm wondering as a healthcare provider and OBGYN, that is, you know, my main focus is the care of women and helping women what could i do to help you in the situation that you're in like what do you wish your provider would have asked you or any specific questions that perhaps could have you know helped you to create the change that you needed um perhaps sooner
1: um well that was the time that i was in the hospital for my miscarriage and i don't believe that i was ever asked questions um you know if if i had any type of injuries. Um, because one week prior Allah, if it was due to the abuse, but one week prior to, um, to the miscarriage is, um, he was beating me and I was on, um, in the closet and he was kicking me on my back. So I had always assumed that it was due to the abuse. Um, but it's not something I can, I can say, you know, a hundred percent. Um, but had they even asked or pushed for it, I may have I may have been willing to say at that moment, um, I was in the hospital, um, a month or two. I don't know if it was prior to, um, I think it was prior to the miscarriage. Actually. Um, I was in the shelter. Um, I had escaped and gone to the shelter and then I had went back, but while I was in the shelter, um, I had to list out the physical abuse that I endured uh, during my intake. Um, and they, um, They were very, uh, obviously very um, compassionate and very, um, you know, delicate with my feelings and trauma at the time, but they um, legally had to send me to the ER because of the head injuries that I had endured. Um, When I did go to the ER um, due to the shelter sending me there, I made up a story and said that I had um, fallen while playing basketball. It was just the first thing that came to my mind. Um... And it just seems so, uh, not practical to have such bad head injuries from falling while playing basketball. Just, just the way I was describing it. Um, I was just trying to come up with something off the top of my head. I think had they pushed more or dug deeper, um, I may have been willing to say that this was due to abuse. I was very afraid to speak out because I didn't know the repercussions and, um, I was just very scared at the time, so I think if they had dug deeper um, to really investigate, they may have. I may have come forward and say it was abuse, and then from there I could have gotten further help.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, you know, to your question about, um, you know, whether or not you could have had a miscarriage from being beaten up, you know, I think that is a very high likelihood because of the stress, the trauma. That you're experiencing absolutely stress can do a lot of things, and you know I don't doubt that everything that you were experiencing and the trauma that you are facing, you know, perhaps could have resulted in your miscarriage. So I don't doubt that. I think that um, you know you, you were very brave to come out, and um, and now with all of your advocacy, you know, it's uh, very empowering for other women. But I, you know, I don't want to make it seem and downplay the fact of how hard it was. I'm sure for you to first come out, and and to be that strong, you know. And so, I really appreciate you being vulnerable and speaking your truth and letting others know that there can be a light, mm-hmm. and um, to you know to find that strength and to find those that are willing to help you and protect you and give you that strength when you need it. So I really appreciate it and I appreciate you and your time, you know, coming out and I think it's so so important to empower others. And I appreciate the fact that you're doing your advocacy and your humanitarian work and It almost seems like your fashion business is kind of (laughs) like a hobby, um, but that, you know, your real passion is in advocating and helping women. So Mm -hmm. um, and I appreciate that. So so thank you for your story.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Well, I think that um, we are done here. So it's been real and really informative today. And remember that this is not meant to be any type of advice. But if you are experiencing um, domestic violence, uh, please know that there are ways and outlets that um, you can access. And I really thank you, Lisa, for coming on and sharing your your experience, and you know, and what everything that you've gone through, so that hopefully, if somebody else is experiencing um, domestic violence, whether it's you know physical, emotional, financial abuse, that they know that there is help out there, and that they don't have to be in that situation. And when they feel empowered to be able to change, you know, make that change or put forth that first effort that there are people ready and willing to help them. So thank you so much. And um, until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsadaf.com. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast.